stories don't define you, how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker of Elkins Consulting. Many of my clients reach out to me because they're in transition. Their children are hitting milestone ages. They want more from their work. They're hitting a big number birthday. And they want to develop clarity about their natural strengths, what their next adventure might look like. In this series, you'll hear me ask my guests questions to dig deeply into the stories that shaped their lives, stories that uncover patterns and may unveil insights into dissatisfaction and also where their strengths lie and where they found and continue to find joy. This podcast's intention is to have listeners think of their own related stories and how they tell them, discovering the internal messages that are limiting their success and discovering how to shift their stories so they become positive life lessons to move them forward. If you're curious about what it would be like to work with me, visit elkinsconsulting.com and schedule a one-time 90-minute StrengthsFinder session. This week's episode of Your Stories Don't Define You is part three of a series I'm exploring. Two weeks ago, I shared what it's like to have command in your top talents using the StrengthsFinder assessment. And last week, I shared stories about my top two talents, strategic and activator, how they used to look to me, what they look like now in my life, and some of the strategies I use so they work for me instead of against me. As a Gallup Certified StrengthsFinder coach, I've taken opportunities to work with other coaches for two reasons. One is that I believe in this, the idea that when we understand our own way of thinking, our natural instinctive talents, And when we understand where we might be getting in our own way, we find more satisfaction in our lives. Another reason I've worked with a coach is that to be a coach and to have a coach demonstrates my belief that this works, that working with a good coach adds value. I know that the more I know about my own talents and blind spots, the more effective I can be for my clients. In this week's episode, I'll round out a description of my top five talents with ideation and adaptability. Ideation is the one that I imagine as a hamster on a wheel in my head, constantly running, coming up with ideas about what I'll do next, ideas to solve problems, sometimes completely random ideas about why things happen the way they do, how things work, usually unrelated to anything that actually matters in my life and how to express concepts so they're sticky or persuasive. Adaptability is the talent that allows me to switch gears easily. That makes me a great person to be around when a project goes sideways. My top five combined, strategic, activator, ideation, command, and adaptability are what make me great at what I do. They're also the things that get me into trouble when I'm not using them with intention. When I look back at the experiences of significant friction in my life, I now know part of why they happened, how I contributed to my own struggles, and maybe ways I could have done things a little differently. It doesn't help necessarily to think about what ifs directly. I like to think of it more as identifying patterns so I can make changes in my responses and reactions when similar situations appear which happens a lot. When I was 18 and struggling in a job, I told my mother I was thinking of quitting. She said, Sarah, if you quit now, 
This same scenario will come up over and over again until you learn the lesson you're supposed to learn from it. It'll be different people, but similar struggle. I stayed, and yes, I did learn a lot from the experience. And I was proud of myself for sticking it out. I felt strong, resilient, and ready for the next challenge. Though I learned a lot about myself and the world around me in that job, it took another 20 years to truly uncover the pattern that began to emerge that year. That's the beauty of self-reflection. When you uncover negative patterns from your past, you can begin to change them for your future. Prior to about 2015, if you changed jobs more than twice in a five-year period, you were considered a job hopper, which made hiring managers pretty uncomfortable when they looked at your resume. In the 2020s, between the lack of consistency in industries, the gig economy making waves, we're seeing a much needed change in that way of thinking. (laughs) Maybe I was just ahead of my time. It wasn't until I saw my results in the StrengthsFinder assessment with adaptability in large, bold font on the report, I started to understand my self-created label of being a two to three year employee. When a job lasted longer than that, I could see in my rearview mirror that the job shifted often enough to keep me moving, motivated, and interested. For instance, when I worked as a software consultant implementing large-scale HR programs, the longest contract I was on lasted 14 months, and then my company would move me on to a new project. A few years back, I was a compliance officer for a federal grant, and I don't even like rules. Looking back now, I know why I applied for the job to get more financial skills to round out my business experiences after completing my MBA. But I have no idea why they hired me or why I actually accepted the position. The first few weeks were spent reading the rules related to the grant reporting requirements and everything I could get my hands on to make sure I understood all the strings attached to the two plus million dollars that would be moving through our project. The next few weeks were spent with that hamster in my head that I mentioned, constantly coming up with ideas about how to collect the required data from our 44 subgrantees, how to manage our budget, and how to make sure our subgrantees understood their role in compliance. Using Microsoft Access, I created a robust database for data collection and budget management. I created easy to use forms to enter the data using drop-down boxes, radio buttons, and select fields as much as possible to limit typos and errors in formatting. Again, looking back, I can easily see how my top strengths made me successful in that position, despite being in a job that wasn't a great fit, and with a boss with significantly different motivation and perspectives on work and management. I knew two things when I started, even though I didn't think about that at the time. One, to ensure compliance for our subgrantees, I needed to have strong, positive relationships with them. They had to want to be compliant rather than have to be compliant to make this work smoothly and to get the most positive impact out of the investments we were making. And two, I needed structures and processes that made sense in collecting data managing the budget, and creating required accurate reports because I knew once I got into maintenance mode, I was unlikely to be as good at managing the details. 
I mentioned the boss and I had some friction. This is what happens when your strengths are significantly different from others in your team and communication styles aren't addressed early in the relationships. Here's how that showed up. My mouse hovered over the send button. The email message was pointed, direct, and I felt strongly that these words needed to be shared with my boss and a director of the agency. But I hesitated as my mouse hovered. I had felt lethargic through the weekend from the time I left the office on Friday evening until Tuesday morning. I couldn't shake this lack of motivation. A few minutes after I sat down at my desk on that Tuesday morning, I looked at my calendar and the light bulb in my head went on. Monday had been my two-year anniversary at that job. When I had left my previous position, I made a deal-breaker list. It was basically my top priorities for my next job. A micromanaging, cruel boss was at the top of my list of deal-breakers. Next was my workspace. An internal cubicle, small, without windows, was also a deal-breaker. There were others, but those were the big ones. And as I walked into the building for my third interview for this current position, I was shown what would be my third floor office with huge windows and a fantastic view. I knew this would be mine. And here I was exactly two years later, feeling lethargic and sad, despite this phenomenal view from my desk. I shifted the mouse pointer away from the send button and reread the message. That's when a memory from my previous position floated to the front of my brain. My mouse pointer had hovered dangerously over the send button two years prior at my previous job. I absolutely knew this message was likely to create drama with my boss that I already had friction with. I rationalized hitting the send button. It's a reasonable thing to forward. I'm not doing anything wrong. I totally underestimated the drama, and seconds after I hit the button, my boss was next to my desk, her voice rising in pitch and volume. I blushed, angry at the overreaction and embarrassed at the attention she was drawing to our cubicle. I tried to explain why I sent the email, but nothing I said made a difference, and she stomped away from me, furious. A few minutes later, as I was walking around the building to get some fresh air and perspective, it dawned on me. I totally earned that embarrassment. I poked the bear. I knew I was going to poke the bear. I knew I was antagonizing her when I hit the send button on that message. And no matter how rational and, rational and reasonable that content of the message, I knew I was antagonizing her when I hit the send button on that message. No matter how rational and reasonable the content of the message, I knew I was stirring it up and I did it anyway. Why? At that point in my job, I was in maintenance mode. I had set up systems to manage reporting. Most of my days were spent reviewing spreadsheets and building reports based on the data. It was relatively quiet in our team that week and I was probably bored. So I sabotaged myself. Fast forward two years later, as my mouse pointer hovered over the send button, my memory of the other experience, vivid and ready to be applied, I stopped myself. I reflected. I was bored and I was about to sabotage myself again. I realized that if I was bored, it was up to me to find a more constructive way to address it. In that job, I had a lot of autonomy and freedom to work on projects. So I took some time to think about what I wanted to learn about, what projects would truly benefit the organization and our community, 
and those I could likely persuade my boss and other leaders in the organization to support and implement. Making a list and carefully starting to word my next proposal, I saved the email message for another time and as a reminder to avoid sabotaging myself again. Now that you know how my strategic activator ideation command and adaptability show up, you could probably pinpoint exactly where they served me well in those stories and where they didn't. Without being conscious of my top talents, I can be very good at what I do, but there will always be a limit to my growth. Not only because I'm not practicing with intention to grow my talents and use them, but because I would be unaware of the ways my talents were creating unnecessary obstacles and struggles. The only way we grow as humans, the only way we can truly find satisfaction in our relationships, is to be self-reflective. This is not the same as being hypercritical. Being self-reflective means understanding our role in every situation and in every relationship. We must ask ourselves questions. What am I doing to move this conversation in a positive direction? What was my role in the conflict with my coworker? What natural talents am I using in ways that are positive? And where am I getting in my own way? Please send me an email if you enjoyed this series of podcast briefs. If I find they're useful to listeners, I'll do another series in the near future. Next week's episode of the Your Stories Don't Define You podcast features Terry Roach vocalist and guitar player, famous for her performances and singer-songwriting with her sister and their band, The Roaches. Hearing her stories of touring across the country at 17 years old, her love for music, and her accidental career will inspire you to look at your life in a different way. Don't miss it. Are you ready to start your story portfolio so you have the right story ready to share when the opportunity presents itself? When you're ready to get started, my book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, is available in all the regular places, and the audiobook version is available on Google Play and on my website, elkinsconsulting.com. As a special bonus for listeners, the audiobook includes two songs recorded by my band, Spare Change in my living room in Montana. Also on my website is a free podcast interview checklist. It's available to download to make sure you make the most out of your next podcast interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate the podcast and leave a review and let me know that you've done it so I can thank you properly. Thank you. Could you tell me?